I talked to my friend Karen as I was walking in the door. She's been sick three weeks. And I said, well, I certainly hope that I'm not going to be sick three weeks. She goes, I have a friend that's been sick for six. I said, well, joy, that's happy, isn't it? I really hope I'm sick until April. Mine started yesterday. I woke up and I started to sneeze and I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And it quickly progressed from there. I'm sure it didn't help that when I was in the bank on Friday and I'm standing there writing out my deposit slip, that the guy who was right next to me, like right where this music stand, sneezed right out to the open, didn't even cover his mouth. And then he takes out his handkerchief and blows his nose. And I'm like, well, isn't that nice? That's so, yeah, I'm, I'm sick now. Like, I just, I, just got, I just got punished with this cold. And, yeah, I know, it was, it was miserable. I wanted to say something, but I wanted to represent the Lord well, too. And those two things weren't compatible. It stinks being sick, doesn't it? It's just, it's just kind of the pits. And you feel run down, and you take medicine, and you go through boxes of Kleenex, and you look for anything that will, that will kind of relieve you and soothe you. So as I was finishing my study last night, I, I was just feeling lousy, and I was hot and, and everything else. So I went to the freezer, and I got some sherbet. I'm going through at this, I promise. And, and I thought, I just need something cool right now. I was drinking water until I was about to just float away. And I ate the sherbet real slowly, and it was so cool, and it was so tangy, and it just kind of revived my spirit. There are certain things that do that, aren't there? There are certain things that just just comfort you. If I said a vacation on a warm beach in the middle of winter, you go, oh. Or if you're hot and you've just worked out or you've been laboring in the heat and somebody hands you a nice cold glass of, of ice water, you go, oh, thank you. That, oh, that refreshes me. Or even when you're sitting in a house where everybody's trading germs and sneezing and and all that, sometimes you just want to peek your head out the door, even if it's 20 below, and go, that's that's better. That's better, because this is a germ fest in here. It's like a Petri dish in the house. There are things that that refresh you. Now, those are are temporal. Those are tangible experiences that kind of change your outlook and and literally kind of encourage your heart because they're such a a strong and helpful uh, uh, contrast to to what's kind of unpleasant. So something like sherbet when your throat is sore or fresh air when you're hot or, or some kind of relief that you get just kind of temporarily gives you some strength. Now, like everything else in life, there is a spiritual parallel to that. There's a spiritual parallel to what we experience, and this one is no different. In the Bible, there are examples, and they're not many, but there are some examples of people who served as a refreshing spiritual influence in the lives of other people. So they not only strengthen them, and they not only uh, push them in their faith and in their perseverance, but they also gave them a fresh desire to do the work of the Lord. Now many times when you look at this in the Bible, you'll find that these are not uh, your main characters. 
These are people like, like uh, the men who went behind enemy lines. David was sitting there. He's running from Saul. And he says, man, I'm really thirsty. I wish I could have water from that one well that I love so much. The water there is so sweet. And these men go behind enemy lines, and they get water, and they bring it back to David to minister to him. And he feels so guilty he can't even drink it. It's, it's like those guys. Or it's like the people that stood on the wall with Nehemiah for 52 days as Sanballat and Tobias were threatening to kill them. And they stood with the brick in one hand and the sword in the other. And they built day and night to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We don't know the names really of any of them, but they did the work of the Lord. And they refreshed somebody else. And then there were the people that we're going to look at this morning who were around the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was not easy for a lot of people. He was controversial, and, and he was um, challenging, and, and, and he was, uh, had a character that, that set some people off, but his character was, was holy, and, and he, was, he was really uh, for the Lord, but his motives were constantly kind of questioned. He was, he was a polarizing figure. And in addition to being put in prison and whipped and stoned and shipwrecked, in every city Paul went into, he was challenged. Everywhere he went to preach, somebody stood up, somebody took him on, somebody tried to take him down. So we find in his letters examples of people who fought the gospel, and he names them, and people who attacked the ministry, and and people whose hearts were resistant to God's word. You can find many of those examples if you look at the writings of Paul. But there are, it's, it's not all negative. There were people around him who not only encouraged him, but encouraged the churches that were set up around Asia Minor. And when he talks about them, and when he talks about what they've done, he uses a phrase that really caught my eye this week as I was studying, that, that, that fits really well, and I think this is of the Lord, fits really well with what we just talked about, about refreshing our ministry and being refreshed spiritually. So let's start with someone who really was influential at the start of Paul's ministry here in Acts chapter 9, um, where we see Barnabas, who was so uh, key to the start of Paul's ministry. Look at Acts chapter 9, start in verse 26. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to them. And now at Damascus, he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Now, if you look at chapter 4, verse 36, and you don't need to turn back to that, it says that Barnabas, his name meant son of encouragement. And that's a good description for what he does here because after Paul was saved by Christ on the road to Damascus where he had been headed to persecute more Christians, Paul gets saved, Paul is blinded, he goes then and is healed of his blindness and they minister to him and and then he comes back to Jerusalem. Now, Imagine how you'd feel at this point. He's the chief persecutor of believers. He's the chief antagonist of the church. And he comes back to Jerusalem and he says, I've had a salvation experience. I was on the road to Damascus and Christ met me and I'm saved and I love the Lord now. Now what would be your first thought? Eh, it's a little shady. A little skeptical of that, 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 that man, is this a trick? I mean, is this, is this somebody that is, that is trying to work underneath the scenes to identify Christians and to infiltrate the church so he can persecute us better? You've got to wonder about his motives at this point. 
So as verse 36 tells us, he comes to Jerusalem, and he wants to meet up with the brothers. He's like, okay, I get it now. I'm excited about my faith. I'm ready to start serving. And as he tries to associate with them, they're like, yeah, we're not going to meet with you. We're not going to do coffee at Panera with you because we're just not really sure what your motives are. They're scared of him. They're fearful. And this is really a pivotal point in the church's history. Because not only are they struggling with trusting the hand of the Lord that he's radically transformed Paul, but, but they're all, he's also having to struggle with not feeling accepted in the body of believers, even though God has said to him, you're the lead evangelist of the Gentiles. Now, there's an important spiritual principle here that, that we need to understand because we usually don't think of Paul as insecure. But imagine what he was feeling after he gets saved. He's got all this guilt and all this shame uh, that he has literally killed Christians who profess the name of Jesus, that he's chased after the church, that he's tried to divide, that he's been a, a persecutor of believers. Now he looks at them and he goes, wait a second, wait a second. They were saved by God's grace just like me, and they actually were my brothers and sisters. If they were alive here right now, we'd be worshiping the Lord together, but I killed them. So he's dealing with his own guilt and his own security, insecurity. And now he goes to believers to find some grace, and he realizes that they can't look beyond his past. See, there's a spiritual lesson for the church. We need to remember that we have been saved by grace. That we have been delivered out of the bondage of sin. And because of that, our hearts should be broken for those who don't yet know Jesus Christ. That we look at and we're in bond, they're in bondage. And instead of being critical of them and judging them and saying, look how awful they are, we need to minister to them and show them the love of grace of God that saved us. See, the church's, the, the church's MO in culture is, well, the church is so judgmental. The church, the church just wants to tell people how wrong they are. We need to do that as part of the gospel, but we need to do it and say, but God can deliver you from that. Christ died for your sins. Christ died to deliver you. And that needs to drive our efforts to do more outreach and more evangelism in our community, to have a heart for people who are lost spiritually and to draw them to Christ. They need to be strengthened. They need to know about the grace of God. And guess whose job that is? It's our job. It's our responsibility. It's our calling. So look back at the text. Look what's going on. Everybody's steering clear of Paul because there's this obvious stigma in his life. And then along comes Barnabas. And Barnabas sees Paul, and he sees that his heart has changed, and he knows that that's evidenced by the fact that he has openly spoken in, in Damascus about Jesus. If you want to know if somebody really loves the Lord, look how they speak about Jesus. If they're open, unashamed, look how good the Lord is. Christ died for your sins. You need to know about this. Then you know there's authenticity there. And, and he sees Paul and he says, this is different. This is not just a ruse to try to, to try to get people on his side so he can trick them. This is real. So he looks at what's going on between the apostles and Paul and he says, all right, Paul, come on. And he literally, that's what the text says, he literally grabs him by the hand and goes up to the door and knocks Hey, hey, it's Barnabas. What are you doing here, Barnabas? I've got Paul with me. What do you mean you got Paul with you? No, listen, you open the door. Open the door. Well, Bar open the door. 
and the door opens. I'm just reading into the text here because this is what it says. And Barnabas says, this is our brother in Christ. Man, wait till you hear his story. Wait till you hear what God has done. Wait till you hear the calling that God has given to this man. I'm telling you he's legit. He's legit. I was watching in Damascus, and I saw him, and I'm telling you, he stood in the square, and he said, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ saved me. Everybody needs to know Jesus Christ. And he said to himself, I got to go. I got to go take him to the apostles. Notice immediately, look at the next verse. We didn't read it. In verse 28, the very next verse, it says that Paul and the apostles go out around Jerusalem sharing the gospel. Now, what's interesting about this account is that we know that the disciples had great power and great discernment from the Holy Spirit. But here's what struck me about this. Somehow, they didn't perceive what Barnabas did about Paul. Their fear hindered their understanding of what the Lord is doing. And listen, fear will always do that. Fear will always hinder your understanding of what God's doing. But Barnabas understood, not just because he was a nice guy, and not just because he was the son of encouragement. He had spiritual insight into the genuineness of Paul's faith, and he also realized how important it was that Paul be accepted by the church and that his calling was affirmed. See, Barnabas was able to see that God doesn't always work within the box of our comfort. We want to we wanna ha- say, God, I'll follow you. Oh, Lord, I love you, and I'm, I'm so willing to do your will as long as your will makes me comfortable. But once I'm outside my comfort zone, once I'm in the, in the desert in a trial, well, I don't know, Lord. I'm going to have to question that. Many times God works in a way that stretches our faith And that stretches our vision, because our vision is limited. We see through a glass darkly. And God says, I want to take you there. I want to do this in your life. I want to do this in your church. And and, and you've got to get out of your comfort zone to be able to do that. That's why I say this document is absolutely worthless unless the Lord's behind it. Everything on this document can change. I don't think it will because it's straight out of the word. But everything on this document can change if the Lord says, no, I want you to do that differently. And he affirms it. God needs to get us out of what's comfortable and lead us to what is profound. And that's what Barnabas does. Barnabas takes Paul to the apostles and he says, accept him. Accept him. Imagine if the disciples had continued to live in fear and had shunned him, and had put him off, how that would have discouraged Paul. We need to pray for this kind of insight. We need to pray for this kind of discernment in our lives and in our church so that we can strengthen people and we can be influential about the work of the gospel. Now, the reason I took you to Barnabas, and let me go quickly here, is because I think this incident impacted Paul very significantly. I think this made a mark on his life, and it determined him from Acts 9 on to align himself with people that, that fostered a spirit of encouragement and spiritual refreshing. I think Paul now sought out people that, that had that mindset, especially because of how much spiritual attack there was against him and against the gospel. He knew that for the ministry to be effective and for people to be open to the good news about salvation and forgiveness and spiritual transformation, that they have to see the authenticity of that change in our lives. 
If you're a Christian this morning, if you bear the name of Christ, if you've been forgiven, saved, adopted, bought with a price, declared his child, then people better see the authenticity of your faith. Because if you say, God saved me, and I'm transformed, and I have a new nature, then that new nature better show. Because how many know that if our lives don't uh, evidence sanctification and faith and the joy of the Lord, there is far less chance that people will be convinced about the gospel than if it's there. They'll look at it and go, what's the difference? You look just like me. You're telling me I need to trust in Christ, I need to confess my sins, I need to live a holy life, I need to serve the Lord, I need to give to the Lord. You're telling me i got to do all that but I don't see any difference in your life than my life. Why would I do that? See, transformation has to be evident. And that just doesn't apply to our relationship with people who haven't trusted Christ yet. That also applies to our relationship with other believers. We're called to strengthen and encourage and refresh each other because the world is so resistant to Jesus and the spiritual warfare is so strong And instead of of ever damaging and discouraging each other, we need to breathe, we we need to breathe spiritual life and spiritual strength into each other. And that's what these five men do. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 16 just for a moment. Let's take just a couple minutes to look at how Paul describes what these men did. 1 Corinthians 16. Now normally when we say 1 Corinthians, we kind of go, uh-oh. Because Corinthians is, is discouraging. From a, from a purely spiritual standpoint. You see a church that is fighting, a church that's worldly, a church that's selfish, a church that's divided. They're taking sides over spiritual issues. Many are more concerned about their spiritual liberty than about sanctification. They're debating who has better gifts and who gets more attention. And there's, there's absolutely no building each other up spiritually. If anything, they're damaging the kingdom of God. But there's a bright spot here in chapter 16. And this bright spot is three men who played a huge role in strengthening Paul spiritually. Look at verse 17. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. Now. Stephanitis, uh, Stephanus, excuse me, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Not exactly household biblical names, right? Sounds more like a law firm. Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. One call, that's all. That guy, um, anyway. But look at what they did. You've, you've probably never seen those names before. We've read 1 Corinthians, but we kind of glided right over that. Yeah, I can't pronounce those names. But look at what they did. Here's the phrase I want us to see this morning. Paul says, they refreshed my spirit. Now the word there, it's the Greek word anapowo. Anapowo, it's full of implication. It means to cause or permit someone to cease from movement or labor in order to recover and collect their strength. Anapowo, it means, it means to build up, take some time off. Let me take the burden on me. Let me strengthen you so you can recover and get their strength. Now think about the significance of that and what these three men did for the Apostle Paul and for the church. 
He's going around. He's planting churches. He's discipling people. He's facing opposition. He's getting beat up. He's getting criticized. And they chose to do whatever they could to strengthen him, encourage him spiritually, to ease some of the burden so he could regain his strength. What an amazing responsibility and privilege we have toward each other. As we each face spiritual opposition, as we each are fighting the good fight, as we're doing the ministry of the gospel and serving the Lord, God says to us, the church, he says, you need to anapowo each other. You need to build each other up and strengthen each other and to bear one another's burden and to take some of the load off so everybody can be refreshed. Now, you can't do that unless you're being refreshed by the Holy Spirit every day yourself. How am I going to strengthen you? How am I going to help you feel better today when I'm sniffling and sneezing and coughing? I, I said to people, don't get near me today. People are like, did you wash your hands? I'm like, yes, I keep washing. My, my hands are dry. I washed my hands like 400 times yesterday because I'm sick. I can't strengthen you today. I can't, we, we can't go exercise together. I would just sit on the side and go, I can't do this. Like the commercial where they start running, the lady goes, I got to go home. Like, I'm done. I, 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 have, I have nothing physically to offer you today. So how am I going to refresh you? So you can't minister to people out of absence. So Paul says, these three guys, man, look at what they've done. They've refreshed me. When you look around the body, when you see other believers, do you say, what can I do to refresh that person spiritually? What can I do to take some of the ministry burden off of them? I'm talking about each other now. What can I do to share in the work? See, it's so easy. It's so easy to ignore the prompting of the Spirit and be about ourselves. And it's very subtle and it's pervasive. And the enemy works very hard to, to hinder the work of the body by having us to, to, to think about ourselves. So how do we overcome that? It's very simple and it's very direct. We've got to get our minds off ourselves. We've got to get our minds off ourselves. Spreading the gospel and the work of the ministry. Listen carefully now. Spreading the gospel and the work of ministry and walking by the Spirit is never, ever, ever, ever about you and about me. The work of ministry is not about me or the glory I get or the attention I get or what people notice. The work of the ministry is about praising and glorifying Christ. But the enemy lies to us, and we need to resist him. The reason we're called to die to self daily is because that's the constant temptation to live for and serve ourselves. Absolutely none of us is immune from that. We all suffer from it, we all feel it, we all do it, and we all experience it in other people. Now, we know nothing, nothing. This is the only verse we have about these three men. We know nothing about them other than that they refreshed Paul's spirit and the spirit of the Corinthian believers. And don't you think that would have been noticeable in the selfish mess that Corinth was when you've got three people that are standing out saying, we just want to refresh you spiritually. It must have been awesome to be around these guys. You know, we had this tagline as a church, a place to be refreshed. 
because that's one of our primary goals, that people can come to Harbor Rock and they can hear about and experience the life-changing truth of the gospel and that they see and experience that in the life of every single person that they meet. So when you come here, my prayer and our goal is that no matter what you're going through spiritually, no matter where you are spiritually, that you'll be strengthened and encouraged and challenged. Why does that make a difference? Why is that important? Well, turn over to the book of Philemon. Philemon. You're singing the song now. Where's Philemon? Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, right? How many say amen? Have you learned your books of the Bible? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't like the response I just got there. Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James. You're like, where's Titus? Well, go to James and go back to. Or go to Revelation and go back about seven. Or look in the front in the index. Or get one of those Bible that has the tabs. Or learn your books of the Bible. It doesn't matter to me. Just get to Philemon, okay? Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, so it's not really chapter 1. It's the only chapter. Philemon 1.7. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love. Because the hearts of the saints. Uh-oh, here it is again have been, tell me the word, refreshed through you, brother. Oh, I've come to be encouraged. Paul uses the same word here that he did in 1 Corinthians 16 to tell this man, Philemon, that his spiritual maturity and his sacrificial humility has refreshed the hearts of many other believers. Don't you want that statement to be true of you? I want it to be true of me. When people meet me, not for my glory. Please understand. When people meet me, my goal is that people would say, I'm now refreshed spiritually because I'm at Rhodes. How many times do I fail on that? That there's a, there's a cool water, there's a cool breeze, there's a refreshing that comes from people being around us. And notice the effect that this had. Paul says in verse 7 that just hearing, just, just hearing, he didn't even witness it himself. Just hearing about his sacrificial love had brought Paul joy and comfort and that many other people were refreshed too. Oh, that that would be true of us. Oh, that that would be true of our church. Now, how do we get there? How do we become a spiritual catalyst like this? Well, obviously, the first step is that we have to walk with the Lord. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit. There's no substitute for that. When we're filled by the Spirit and living by the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be evident. And once the fruit of the Spirit is evident, people around us will notice it. But there's a second principle that we have to be aware of. And that is that the amount of spiritual influence we have on others. Listen now. The amount of spiritual influence we have on others is based on how fully the Holy Spirit's in control of our lives. If you've got a lot of the Spirit, you'll have a lot of influence. If you just have a little bit of the Spirit, you're going to have a little influence. It's proportional. It's a direct correlation. More of the Spirit more influence. Less of the Spirit, less influence. Now, you can say, well, that sounds good, but yeah, whatever. Listen, we can't blow off that principle. And we need to ask ourselves some tough questions, and we need to answer them very honestly. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Not partially, not somewhat, not a little bit. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? And based off that, all the other questions apply. 
What spirit do you bring to others? What spirit do you bring to the body, to the church? Is there a spirit of spiritual refreshing or a spirit of spiritual weariness? Is there a spirit of joy and revival and delight in the Lord? Or is there a spirit of melancholy and disappointment and frustration? When, when people are around you, what do they sense? Does the presence of the Lord exude from you? Or are they prompted to mature and seek the Lord and praise Him because they're around you? Bottom line, are, are you a strength, support, and spiritual encouragement to people, or are you a drag, a drain, and a discouragement? Because those are the two options. They say, well, that's pretty, pretty brutal on January 31st. Yeah, it is, but that's the Word of God. Because our calling is to refresh people spiritually. And our calling is to surrender whatever hinders that. So how can we be witnesses of His salvation? and ambassadors of his transforming work unless we're full of the Spirit. How can I say, well, God loves you, and Christ died for you and rose again for your sins, and, and God says he will change your nature and give you a new heart and renew your mind and fill you with the Spirit and give you a holy nature, praise the Lord, and, and God will adopt you as your own, and you can go boldly to the throne of grace. If you look at my life and you see no evidence of that, or you just see a little bit of evidence of that, and you go, I don't know. How are we going to be witnesses and ambassadors unless we're completely sold out for Christ? Because it's a struggle. So many people are struggling right now, not just personally, but spiritually. Christians and non-Christians struggling and listen, we know the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, and we know the Holy Spirit is the one who draws people to himself. That's a fact. But he also gives us a primary responsibility to be living examples of his work. Turn to one more passage real quick. I promise we're almost done. A couple pages to 1 Timothy 1.16. And let me just take 90 seconds on one more person. Maybe a little more than 90. Maybe 180. We'll see how it goes. First Timothy 1.16. Let's look at a man named Onesiphorus. You're like, who are these people? These are important people. Onesiphorus. First Timothy 1.16. Let me get on the right page. That would help. Nope, 2 Timothy 1.16. My apologies. I knew I wrote that wrong on my notes. The Lord, Paul says in verse 15, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia, all, notice that word, all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelius and Hermogenes. But, verse 16, the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often, what's the word? Refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Two things describe Onesiphorus. He refreshed Paul's spirit, and he wasn't afraid of Paul's change. Now the word there, remember the other one was anapao, the word there is slightly different. This word is anapsuko. You're like, who cares? It's important. When you hear the meaning, it matters. The first word, anapao, meant to bear each other's burdens and take a load off them. I love anapsuko. It means to cool them off, to help them recover from the effects of the heat, to help them catch their breath 
and refresh their spirit. In other words, our job is to breathe spiritual life into people. You remember the old movie? Some of you are old enough to remember when you'd see a show. How many remember the show Sea Hunt with Lloyd Bridges? Man, I love Sea Hunt. That was like radical, like this guy goes underwater. And there was always something in the episode where they'd be underwater, right? And, and the guy had run out of oxygen in his tank. Like the, the line would get cut or he just wasn't watching his monitor. And what would happen, right? Somebody would come along with their own tank, which was always full, and they'd share it going up. How many know what I'm talking about here? That's Anapsuko. That is, I'm going to breathe life into you. I'm going to help you. You're struggling, you're gasping, whether it's stress or spiritual warfare, or you're just tired, or you're laboring in the worth of ministry, and you're coming along with a fresh tank, and you're saying, I love that principle. This is spiritual refreshing. It's cool air. And Paul says to Onesiphorus, you weren't ashamed of me. Everybody in Asia turned on me. But you know what? You're with me. And you know what, Onesiphorus? You knew I was running low on oxygen spiritually. So you came along with a full tank. Who around you is running low this morning? Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. Maybe it's a person across the way. Maybe they're not here this morning because they're running low. What are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? We can refresh them. Somebody who's under major spiritual warfare right now, they need you to share the tank. Somebody that's burned out because they've been working too hard in ministry, you need to share the tank. Somebody who's struggling emotionally, physically, relationally, whatever the case may be, they need you to share the tank. You know, we have a time at the end of every service. We call up the leaders. We call up the prayer band. We say, if you need prayer, come up. We'll be glad to pray with you. Some, a few people take advantage of that. Uh, let, me, let me expand that. It's not just the leaders and the prayer band members. It's all of our responsibility. If the person sitting next to you is struggling and you know it, instead of saying, well, good morning, good to see you. Let's go get some Kringle. Let's walk up the door. How about them Packers? Instead say, you know what? You're struggling. Let's go up and pray. Oh, well, pastor, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to pray out loud. Really? Really? Do you pray? You pray to the Lord? Then just say it out loud now. I, I, I'm not being critical or facetious. I'm being serious. If you pray silently, you can pray out loud. Well, it's awkward, and, and what will people think? They're not listening to your words. They need encouragement. It's not about you. Have we said that? It's about ministering to people. It's about refreshing people. You know what strikes me, and I'm done, is that I don't think any of these six men did this as like, all right, my obligation in Christ is to refresh people. So I'm going to be very strategic, and I'm going to be very intentional about this, and I'm going to make sure that I fulfill my mission that I'm going to refresh people. Listen. Listen, listen, I'm done. This poured out of their hearts. This was not, well, I've got to go do this now because that person's struggling and i got to refresh. No, this was look around. Man, like Jesus who looked around and he had compassion on the people because they were sheep without a shepherd. And he said, we gotta, we got to go harder now. we gotta, we got to work more. Apostles are like, let's go get some rest. Let's go eat something. Jesus like, no. 
No, the people have needs. I'll minister as long as it takes. What's your spiritual influence? What's your spiritual influence? Are you refreshing people? Are you encouraging them? Are you strengthening them? Not just here, but as we go out this morning, as we leave, the Bible says the fields around us are white. They're ready for harvest. That's even more true when we got snow on the ground. The fields are white, but the laborers are few. It's up to us to be that strong, refreshing spiritual influence. Let's close our eyes. Lord, what a joy and a privilege to know your grace. What a joy and a privilege this morning to be saved and to know your goodness that has transformed our lives. Lord, all around us there are people that don't know you. All around us are people that have not trusted you. And Lord, you give us this wonderful opportunity and this calling to tell them about Christ, to show them your love, to evidence the transformation that's taken place in our heart outwardly. And then, Lord, as we draw people to your grace, as we make disciples, we have this wonderful calling to refresh each other in the body spiritually. Lord, I pray this morning that if we're not doing that, if we're, we're a negative influence or we're thinking about ourselves, Lord, it's so easy for us. We all do it. That's not an excuse. It's sorrowful to say that. But, Lord, if we're doing that, I pray you'd stop us. And I pray that our hearts would be inclined to you and that we would rejoice in your mercy and refresh other people spiritually. Lord, I pray for a new, fresh wind to roll through this congregation. I pray for your fresh breath. <sighs> Lord, 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 that extra oxygen that we need spiritually, I pray you'd move through this room, that there would be the sound of a rushing wind like an Acts 2, and that we would sense your refreshing in our lives so we can refresh each other. Lord, may it be true that Harbor Rock Tabernacle would be a place to be refreshed. May it be true that we would live for you so faithfully and so joyfully, even in these days that are evil, that it would exude from us. Lord, use us. What a statement that is. Use us to minister to people. Use us to lead people to Christ. Use us to be examples and extensions of your love and mercy. And Lord, as we do that, we'll give you the praise. Find us faithful, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this calling. As hard as it is, Lord, we thank you for it. And we pray that we would serve you faithfully and well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.